Podcast Movies Edition, presented by Phil Hinton. Hi, this is Phil Hinton, and welcome along to the AV Forums Movies Podcast. Coming up, we review Michael Clayton, Hitman, Justice League, and I Am Legend on Blu ray disc. We look forward to forthcoming cinema and disc releases and we discuss this year's Oscar results. As always, I'm joined by the AV Forums review team. We've got uh, Chris McNini. Hi, Chris. Hello. Cass Harlow. Good evening. And Simon Crust. Hi, how are you? So uh, let's start off with the news, as we always do. Uh, it's been a little while since we, uh, we've we been on the air. Lots of things have been happening round about the AV Forums world. Uh, but we're back again, back online and uh, back with the latest news, and we're going to kick that off with Chris. So, Chris, what do you have for us? Well, I think big news for uh, for Blu-ray. <laughs> Not that it's going to be big news for any HD releases, is there? Uh, we've got the Rambo box set coming out later this year. Um, it's due out on May 27th, and it's going to be the first three movies. So you've got First Blood, Rambo First Blood Part 2, and, of course, the big and bloated Rambo 3. It's come Lionsgate Entertainment, uh, rated R... It's costing $49.99, which I don't think it's too bad for like a three-disc box set. Um, I'm not entirely sure what extras are going to be on all these. I only know what's on First Blood, which is the uh, the great commentary track from um, David Morell, who wrote the book in the first place. And deleted scenes were on it as well, the alternate ending, the infamous alternate ending. Uh, but it's from Lionsgate, so I think you're going to have some fantastic sound design on that, uh, usually uh, 7.1, so can't go wrong with that. And also, alongside that, same day, May 27th, for $39.98, you will have uh, Rambo, the fourth instalment, the explosive, gut-wrenchingly violent fourth instalment. Absolute blood-curdling fun. Very short, very sharp, and very nasty. Um, Again, we don't know too much about what's going to be on this, but I think it's going to be quite a good release from rumours that I have heard, but they're unsubstantiated at the moment. Um, Audio, again, is PCM 7.1, and that is going to be... An absolute stonker of a release, to be honest. So there you go. That's um, in May. Keep your head down because Rambo is about again. And uh, Chris, do we know if this is going to be region coded? It's Lionsgate, isn't it? I'm not too sure if it's going to be region coded or not. I kind of wonder what their previous releases were like, to be honest. I don't know. I don't know. They're an enigma. They, they've released them. Some have, some haven't. Chances are it will be. Okay, well, uh, we can update the uh, forum members as soon as we get that review copy through. Uh, let's move on to Kaz. Kaz, what news have you got for us? Well, another big box set that's coming out, uh, albeit a little bit further down the line, is um, the Dirty Harry collection. Uh, it's coming out June the 3rd on Blu-ray, obviously. By then, I think that's going to be all that there is to offer. Um, Warner's releasing it, and there isn't a great deal known about the release other than the fact that obviously it contains all the films in the collection. A little bit like Rambo, I think that um, the Dirty Harry films, in a way, suffered from their overall labelling, because I think the first two movies are really underrated. The first one's a classic, and the second one's pretty good as well. And the rest are sort of cliches of what's gone before, all the way up until Harry shooting someone with um, a big harpoon on a boat. So I think that 
it's it's a shame with these box sets that um, that people don't always remember just how good the initial movies are. And I'm hoping that maybe re-releasing it on Blu-ray, Warner might pick up a few new clients for this particular uh, collection of classics. Okay, thanks, Kaz, and uh, we'll move on to Simon. So, Simon, what news have you got? A um, couple of uh, discs coming from um, Walt Disney, Walt Disney Home Entertainments. Um, the first one coming in very late, actually, very late in the year, October 7th, 1959, the original Sleeping Beauty coming to Blu-ray. I think this is going to be quite an exciting release, actually, updating the colours. I mean, they, they had a quite a good uh, standard release, didn't they, quite recently, but updating it to Blu-ray, I think it could be really quite, quite definitive. It's going to have Profile 2 uh, DB Live, so um, some of you poor people who've got older players um, might be looking to update your player before you can actually get into this one. However, you'll still be able to enjoy the film um, and the sound. It's an original aspect ratio, and, they, and it's going to be given PCM 7.1 sound. Quite amazing, considering it was only a mono track. Um, it be very interesting to hear what that one is. <laughs> yeah. um, Coming up um, a little bit sooner than that, in May, May 13th, is uh, The Chronicles of Narnia, Lion, the Witch in the Wardrobe, uh, coming to Blu-ray again from Disney. Um, this one uh, looks to be packed full of just about everything. It looks to be the, the same as the 4 disc Stand Edition that's uh, a couple of years old now, with a whole list of extra features um, and a whole list of sound formats as well, uh, PCM 5.1 and Dolby Digital, English, French, and Spanish. Um, I quite like this film, actually. I know you did as well, didn't you, Chris? I think you reviewed it on the site when it originally came out a couple of years back. Yeah, this, this was a, a terrific film. And I think once coming on, on Blu-ray, again, it's going to give it a new lease of life. Yeah, I'm looking forward to this one. Yeah, me too. Yeah, and it was on uh, Sky HD just a little while back, and it looked quite good on that. So, obviously, with the, the advanced bit rate on the Blu-ray disc, it should look even better. So, uh, any more news, Chris? Um, yeah, um, something else I'm looking forward to quite immensely is the new standalone animated Batman movie, Gotham Knight, which is coming out uh, July the 8th. Uh, it's priced at $35.98. Now, this is um, the Batman finally reaching into anime because they've brought in some highly regarded anime animators and artists uh, to work this story out. I've seen the preview for it already, and uh, it looks amazing. It looks like to be a pretty well-stacked disc as well because you've got documentaries, you've got um, featurettes, you've got a sneak peek at Wonder Woman, the new DC Universe animated original movie. Now, I like Wonder Woman as well, but I'm just hoping that it's not going to be the seven foot tall muscle bound um, Amazonian super warrior S that's in the the new um, Justice League New Frontiers movie. I much prefer the one from the original animated series for Justice League. It was absolutely gorgeous even though she's only a drawn woman. Um, and you've also got Batman animated series bonus episodes of Bruce Tim, the esteemed Bruce Tim, are selected. Uh, so it looks like a pretty good uh, disc. I'm just trying to find out. No, I don't know what the sound, the audio is going to be on that one, um, but I would imagine it's going to be pretty good because they're, they're, they're doing good surround mixes on these animated movies now. Uh, the Justice League New Frontier um, had amazing sound quality on it. So I expect great things from that. July the 8th, 2008, looking good for Batman fans. Yeah, I was looking at a couple of the UK Blu-ray releases uh, later on this month. Um, we've got the release of 30 Days of Night. That's actually, that's coming out 14th of April. Um, that's based on the, the comic book, of course, sorry, graphic novel, um, which was quite short, but quite uh, visually effective. Sort of like your vampire take on the 300 um, in terms of possibly style over substance, 
I haven't seen the movie. I'm quite looking forward to checking it out. I've heard sort of mixed reviews. Um, but this Blu-ray release comes packed with uh, a myriad extra features. The commentary, a bunch of featurettes, and uh, a photo gallery to round it off. And of course it comes complete with your 1080p Blu-ray transfer. And, um, and it's looking good for April. As for Hitman, the other release I was going to mention, that's coming off the back of the US release, uh, which, which just came out. We're looking at a March 31st UK release for Hitman. Uh, it's going to have all of the same features. It's coming with the extended cut. I haven't seen the original cut. I have seen the extended cut. I'm guessing that some of the arm loppings off scenes are probably the source of the extensions. Um, it's... Uh, an interpretation or adaptation of the uh, popular video game series. As with all video game tie-ins, I think that they immediately suffer from um, quite warranted cynicism from the general public and critics alike. Uh, Just about the only one I can think of that survived the transition is probably Resident Evil. Uh, Hitman is good, it's fun, it's action-packed. Not sure whether it'll make sate the appetites of all the fans out there who love the game, um, and it's certainly not going to win any Oscars. But um, it's quite quite a good movie. It's it's not um, as bad as, for example, War, which was that disappointing Jason Statham Jet Li film that came out recently. So it it serves up reasonable amount for its potential, and uh, the release comes packed with a whole bunch of featurettes looking into the evolution of video game transitions, the Hitman game turning into a movie. Um, the score, the guns used, everything to do with the movie. And uh, along with a bunch of deleted scenes, uh, an alternate ending, and a gag reel, which is quite amusing, I guess, for a film about assassinating people in a cold-blooded fashion. Anyway, um, I'm sure I'll be discussing that film in more detail later on when I review it. Okay, thanks, Kaz. And uh, let's wrap things up with Simon. So, Simon, uh, let's finish off our disc news. I'm going to mention uh, a standard disc here. Um, Sweeney Todd comes to Region 1 um, standard disc on April the 1st with the uh, demise of HD. Uh, it was slated to come out at the same time, but obviously that has now been postponed indefinitely. So we, if for those of you who are wanting to get this film, it's only standard edition that you can get it on for a minute. But what a release it is. Um, two discs, special edition, um, with uh, a whole disc dedicated extras. It's, uh, it, I, I've yet to see this film. Um, I know Chris has already reviewed it on the site because he went to see it at the cinema and raved about it. I and, loved um, it, I'm, yeah. I know, and on the back of his review, I'm going to be getting this disc <laughs> because uh, it just looks absolutely fantastic. And uh, I, I'm, I'm really looking forward. I don't want to say too much more about it because I'm going to spoil it for myself and I hate spoilers. <laughs> so I'm, I'm just going to stop and say, April the 1st, get it because it's going to be great. <laughs> Okay, well then, thanks guys, we'll, we'll move on from here, and uh, coming up next, Cinema News. The biggest news, and the best, best, best reviews. Best reviews. Hard, tiring work. You're listening to the AV Podcast. Okay, well, like I said, it's now time for the Cinema News, and uh, it all looks a little bit bleak out there, guys, so um, what's coming up in the next few weeks at the Flicks? Right, when it comes to big, dumb fun... Uh, big budget, low IQ, there's no one better qualified than Roland Emmerich to come up with a massive, massive, hyper-budgeted, really high-concept sort of idea. And 10,000 BC seems to be the, uh, the new thing that he's working on right now. And um, God alone knows what this is actually about. I believe it's some kind of heroic odyssey uh, where a guy has to trek across the, 
well, the prehistoric world, battling saber-toothed tigers and mammoths and all sorts of things to get back his lost love who's been nicked by another tribe of perhaps more advanced people because I know there's pyramids in there and they're wanting people to build pyramids for them. So basically it's just the heroic quest but told with you know the, the big, broad, massive CG spectacle that Roland Emmerich is well and truly known for. Uh, I've seen little bits of footage from this and I thought it looked quite spectacular but um, it's Roland Emmerich. It's not going to be a great story, is it? You kind of know that going in. So, But if it's big, dumb fun, then I think you might you might get something out of it. And that's due out on the 14th of March. And the other thing that's, that's definitely catching my eye, which I think is due out on the 21st of March, is uh, The Orphanage, Spanish ghost story set in the titular orphanage where a girl who was once um, you know, living there returns to it, buys it, returns to it with her own family, um, but there's lots and lots of little secrets from the past. Ghosts are still there, and maybe she's not quite as innocent as she like might like to pretend to be. Um, don't know much more about it than that, to be honest, but it's produced by Guillermo del Toro. Can't remember the guy who's directing it, but I think it's his first actual movie. But the Spanish rep- uh, reputation now for bringing out truly raw, blistering, high-tension um, sort of ghost stories set well, the, the bar was raised by Del Toro himself, um, but it's looking good. Um, I've got a read. I've got really high hopes of that. It's due out on Blu-ray only literally a few weeks afterwards uh, on American Blu-ray, and uh, but I still think it's it's worth going the flicks to see this. The last ghost story I saw the flicks was the others. I mean, the last one that really wowed me, and uh, the effect on a spellbound audience for you know horribly quirky noises in the around the soundscape making you jump in unison it was great and I, I think that the orphanage is the next one to do the uh, to do the business so that's going to get a thumbs up from me as what i'm looking forward to so yeah 10,000 bc and uh the orphanage okay thanks uh, chris and moving on it's time for cards cards what are you looking forward to if anything it's got to be nothing on this lineup i don't have any kids i'm not planning on taking any kids to the cinema i don't know why i'd be watching these movies we're looking at a Jim Carrey film. We're looking at um, Hannah Montana, which I'm not even going to go there. And um, Step Up to the Streets. Um, I'm ashamed that I haven't actually seen the first movie. So, um, no, it's going to be a while before I go back to the cinema if they're going to keep feeding us this. But um, for those of you out there with kids who like this kind of stuff, go for it. The Easter holidays, isn't it? So uh, Easter holiday season, always the kiddie films. Uh, let's finish off with Simon. Simon, can you salvage anything at the cinema uh, this month? Um, I'm afraid not. I'm just going to have to echo what uh, what Kaz has already said. And I have kids. <laughs> so uh, I've, there's nothing really there that takes my fancy. And uh, my kids have looked, at, um, have looked at the Odeon website and flick through it themselves knowing that it's Easter knowing that we've got a break and knowing that I like to go to the cinema and they like to go to the cinema and even they've said we don't fancy them so looks back to me uh, back to Blu-ray for me I think Okay, well uh, that wraps up the cinema news and coming next reviews For up to the minute AV discussion and hardware reviews visit avforums.com so we're going to uh, we're going to skip the movie uh, reviews this month and talk about the Oscars which were held uh, at the end of February. So um what did you think guys anything sort of stand out from uh, from the Oscars this year? Well I totally think that um Day Lewis deserved the best actor Oscar for There Will Be Blood. Um it was a, an outstanding performance one of those 
weird characters. I don't know how you're going to justify to anyone why they should go and see this movie, other than saying that Daniel Day-Lewis just chews everybody, the the other cast members, the scenery, everything, chews it up and spits it all out. He's just uh, a supreme actor for a guy who's done like a a dozen movies. Yeah. Um, (laughs) I was going to say, don't you think he he sounded just like Jack Palance? The voice that he puts on uh, is pure Jack Palance. That's all I could imagine when when he's on screen. Jack Palance, Jack Palance. But you're right, though. It's a tremendous, absolutely bravura, tour de force performance. Um, acts everybody else. And they're, and they're all uniformly good in the film, but he acts them off the screen, without a doubt. Uh, not a film I would rush back to see, or even perhaps relish the idea of watching um, later on on you know, a high-definition format. Because uh, as gruelling as the film is, and as intriguing as it all is, I was kind of left drained at the end of it and wondering kind of what did I get out of this and what was it all about? Because it's just, it's, it's a meandering sort of obsessional movie where it's driving towards something which you, well, I can't say too much obviously, but it's driving towards a certain point and it's whether you find that point totally satisfying or not. And at the time, I don't think I did. I enjoyed the performances more than the actual story and the film itself. Certainly warranted the um, the Oscar. Digger Lewis is always, always superb. Um, even going back to his early days when he, he was just bit parts in like, the likes of The Bounty, he was electrifying in that. And his screen time was probably only about 10 or 11 minutes. But, you know, yeah, thoroughly deserved there. Oscars-wise, um, I was a bit disappointed in the soundtrack department that uh, Marco Beltrami, his uh, score for 310 to Yuma, didn't get it. On our site, I tipped him as being the one to take the uh, the gong. But no, it was Atonement, wasn't it? Uh, actually, I'm not surprised. Atonement was the kind of soundtrack which was going to do it. Lush, piano, romanticism. Um, yeah, typical really there. I'm going to struggle here, folks, because I can't remember too much more about... Well, well the, the only other ones that, that sort of took any interest for me were the, the sound production and sound editing, which was won by uh, Born Ultimatum on both, both counts, um, which was cracking soundtrack. Uh, just a pity. Didn't they even create an Oscar, uh, which was best stunt ensemble, and it was for the Bourne Ultimatum as well. Right, well. So the entire stunt team, you know, everyone who worked on a stunt, everyone coordinated and worked on it, they got the Oscar for the Bourne Ultimatum again. So an, ac- an high-profile action thriller did pretty well. You mentioned Atonement. It didn't do as well as, as we'd hoped, did it? Um, I don't know what else it got, mate, to be honest. Did it get anything else? Best costumes? Yeah. Well, actually, I... I I, I quite concur with that. <laughs> I mean, the um, the fact that the the fountain bit, obviously. I mean, uh, who you can't go wrong with um, a totally drenched, wet through, almost see through costume for Keira Knightley, can you? So yeah, Oscar nominations um, all the way for that one. But course, no, it, it it didn't do as well as people expected. No. And of course, uh, No Country for Old Men did very well as well for the Coen Brothers. Yeah. Um, what is Xavier Bardem, Best Supporting Actor? Fantastic and mesmerising performance again uh, in in a, a film with with a strong cast all around and the hellish bad guy actually became the uh, the thing you remember most about it. Yeah, excellent. Can't I can't you know disagree with that at all. Yeah, but you do get the kind of feeling that this year's Oscars were a bit of a damp squib. Well, I didn't stay up to watch them. <laughs> uh, normally, I would do. There was not there was nothing that I was particularly excited about. Um, you know. Oh, this has got to win. This has got to do this. I want to see who gets that. And no, no, it, it the attraction just wasn't there for me. 
I did watch the Baftas though, and I, you know, I, I managed to sit through well the highlights of that, and that was quite enjoyable. But um, no, there was nothing particularly gripping about the uh, the nominees this time round. Something a bit odd with the visual effects winner. Did you see yeah, the yeah, Golden that, Compass that, that one was, over Transformers? Yeah, that that was just that's a travesty. Uh, yeah, it was, wasn't it? I, I mean, you look at Transformers and how realistic. Oh yeah, it was over the top and uh, bombastic, but you know how how realistic did it look? Exactly. It was seamless, wasn't it? Look yeah. at that polar bear in Golden Compass. Yeah, exactly. Lousy. <laughs> I, I was left scratching my head with that one a little bit, Simon. I've got to agree with you. Mm. I'd have liked to have seen Michael Clayton win a bit more. I think that that was really underrated this year. I mean, obviously it's got mixed reviews, but um, I think it, it was un- underrated when it came to the Oscars because it's not like a loud, shouty movie with some massive drama that's gonna gonna entice Oscars for best performance or best whatever. It just gets kind of overlooked. Um, but I thought it was I thought it was a, a nice modern classic sort of seventies style movie. Harking back to the days of sort of all the president's men, parallax mm. view and that kind of stuff, where you didn't need to have people running and shouting and shooting and screaming all the time in order for it to be classed a drama or to be tr- tense. So I think all in all, I think we're, we're in agreement. Bit of a damp squib this year. The winners did well. Um, the Oscars went to the right people, I suppose. And um, that's it for another year. Would you agree, guys? Yeah. 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 Okay, uh, we'll we'll move on and uh, let's talk about disc reviews and they're coming up next. Join the discussion at Europe's largest home cinema website. Log in to avforums.com. Okay, and uh, moving on, it's now time for the disc reviews. And first up this month is Kaz. So Kaz, what do you have for us? Well, I'm looking at a couple of titles this week. They're kind of polar opposites. Um, The first one I'm going to go for is uh, Michael Clayton. It's, uh, it was tipped for loads of Oscars um, and lost out on pretty much all of them. Uh, it's uh, the latest George Clooney movie, and it's, uh, it's, it's a great movie. I think that uh, we've got to a stage where perhaps with the advantages of CGI and um, new filming techniques and, and the sort of caffeine-enriched veins of our audiences... You need to have fast-cut, fast-paced, tense affairs, even if they're not blowing stuff up all across the screen for you. They need to be, you know, fairly punchy numbers. And um, Michael Clayton, for me, is a, a classic hark back to the old days. I mean, pre-I was born days, but still the old days of those classic movies where just a decent story and decent characters, and even a little bit of realistic pacing, and you've got a proper quality thriller. Um, it's, the movie itself is about Michael Clayton, who's this dubious, shady fixer for a, a prestigious law firm. And he gets called in to sort out their messes, and one of them involves one of his friends, who appears to be a little bit crazy. And um, it involves, obviously, conspiracies and backstabbing and lots of machinations in the background. Um, It's a quality affair, a riveting story. Uh, It takes a a central character whose progression across the movie could, could... countenance a movie itself but here you have that matched up with a superior plot it's really gripping stuff considering it doesn't have people hanging off cliffs it's um it's Clooney arguably at his best he's not 
charming. He's not suave. He's not. Um, I mean, his character was supposed to be once perhaps all of these things, but he's a lot more world battered, world weary, uh, cynical, skeptical, pragmatic, and uh, totally immoral, but in an, uh, an ambiguous way. He's not. He's not evil. He's just not good. He just does his job, and um, it's an interesting. It's an interesting role for him to pick. It's all in the eyes and the slight facial expressions, uh, very little raising of his voice. Um, he's, it's a, a top performance for him and a great role for him to pick. I don't think that he perhaps deserved the Oscar for it. I mean, I'm quite happy that that went elsewhere. But um, I could see how, you know, in a different world, that could be Oscar-winning material. These days, we have to go for shouting performances for, the, for that sort of award. But um, Clooney's Michael Clayton is... It's a great character. Um, the story itself, it's one of the best I've come across recently. It's not, not your sort of John Grisham, the firm, Hollywoodish, cliched, enjoyable, but large tosh. Um, it's a, it's a proper, proper legal thriller, and it gets all my votes. You've got rounding performances from Tom Wilkinson. I mean, he's, when has he not been good? And he's he's great supporting character here. Tilda Swinton plays... Quite a um, quite a cold, ruthless um, businesswoman in it. One of the other law firm women in it, and she's obviously looking to for promotion, and she plays this role really well. Kind of a selfish, cut anybody's throat role, and still a little bit of uncertainty as to where her part plays in the whole scheme of things. Um, they're great supporting roles. It's Clooney's baby, though, and it's a top-notch movie, um, and it's going to get a top-notch review when that baby goes up. Michael Clayson, of course, comes to Blu-ray um, with a, a what I regard as one of the best video presentations I've come across. It's 1080p high def. Uh, it's shot in a quite broad uh, 2.4 to 1 aspect ratio, and uh, it looks superb. I mean, the the black levels are astounding throughout. Um, Clooney's suit playing Michael Clayton, he's wandering around in a black suit throughout the whole thing. It's, it's, we're talking solid black here. Shadowing's great. It's, that's the, the biggest thing about this movie, and it is quite a dark movie. Um, the, there's no grain. There's no artifacting. You've got no problems with the, the video. Um, I would say it's one of the better visual presentations I've come across recently. In terms of audio, I was a bit disappointed that we just get Dolby Digital 5.1. It's just your standard track that you get to adorn discs. I mean, it doesn't appear like Warner could really be bothered to splash out for anything else, which is a shame because this is a pretty high-profile release. Still, it's not a movie about bombast, as I've already said, so it hits all the right spots. Um, in terms of extras, there are only a couple of extras, but they're decent enough. You've got your audio commentary from the writer-director and his brother, who was the, the editor, and that's quite an informative commentary. They managed to give a lot of technical information, also make it interesting by giving a lot of trivia and anecdotes about the production itself. Um, we also get a few deleted scenes. One of them is worth checking out. Um, they're, you know, it's not great stuff, but it's nice to have them included here. There's nothing else on the disc, um, and so as that, I'd probably give the ratings uh, for the video, uh, I'd give it a 9. For the audio, I'd give it a, a 7, and for the extras, I'd give it a 7. 
Um, overall, the movie gets a 10 from me. So overall, it's a, a round-out disc worth 8 and definitely worth checking out. As for my other review, I'm looking at uh, the polar opposite, which is Hitman. Now, I'm a big fan of Hitman. We're talking of video games here. Uh, on the Xbox, on the Xbox 360. I know they had the same on the PlayStation, but I always had them on the Xbox. Um, great games. Uh, you play an assassin. This guy walks around in a black suit, burgundy tie, white shirt, bald, got a barcode on the back of his skull, master of disguise. He can kill anybody with anything. He wanders around with um, silenced hardballer automatic pistols and uh, is doesn't look out of place when he's got a sniper rifle in hand. He's He goes around the world killing people, and it's your job to play this character and, and do the same sort of thing. Um, great, great games, uh, which employed the idea that you could either go in stealthily or you could just go in and shoot everything. Um, and they actually had some quite good stories in there about the shady organization he worked for and everything else that was going on. Um, so coming to make a movie about it, well, they had a lot of material f to work from, like three or four games with numerous different hits in them and, uh, and lots of story arcs. They could have pulled from all of that together and created something pretty phenomenal. I have to say, given the history of video game adaptations, I wasn't looking for a great deal in this movie. And in that respect, it actually surprised me. I did, I did enjoy it. Um, it's it's quite fast moving. It's never less than entertaining. It's glossy. Um, you know, it's this good fun sort of hitman movie. It's just not um, as much as it could have been. I, as I say, you're going to enjoy it. It's going to be like a. It's a tough call for me between a six or a seven rating, but it's um, it's just not what they could have made out of it. But, for those who don't know what the story is like or what the games are like, you're looking at uh, this world-class hitman who belongs to an organization that breeds hitmen. And uh, he's trained to be the best of the best of the best. He pops up, kills people, and disappears, whether he's putting poison in their lunch or stitching bombs into their throats or shooting them from four miles away with a sniper rifle or whatever ridiculous thing he's doing, that's what he does. And uh, for one reason or another, he gets set up, he gets uh, betrayed by his own people, he gets chased by the police, he gets involved in some kind of uh, conspiracy to overthrow a government and runs around Eastern Europe. Um, and it, it's... It's good. It's it's probably in line with one or two of the original game stories, um, and it doesn't have too much of the love interest thing going on, um, because what they've done here is they they've given the hitman a love interest, which is just unprecedented, and uh, thankfully they don't. I don't think they go too much down that road, so as to make the character completely different from what the fans will know and love um, and when it when you boil it all down you got a guy in a suit running around with a silenced pistol shooting people and uh, if, for that alone it's entertaining there are a couple of sparky moments really boisterous action moments and there's some nice nifty set pieces it's nothing amazing and it's nothing that you're going to fall asleep to um, in terms of video presentation it looks fantastic on blu-ray 
the picture just about lives up to the style and the source that it's come from and we get quite a boisterous track to accompany it there are a myriad featurettes to that adorn the disc looking into everything from the weapons used to um, the transition of the hitman games to the big screen and um, and we get a few deleted scenes and a gag reel it's overall it's going to get uh, an 8 out of 10 from me for the video presentation um, an 8 out of 10 for the audio uh, 7 for the extras and I think I'm going to have to give it a 6 for the movie uh, so that overall that's a 7 rating I think that probably pips it at the recommended rental um, but you have to know what you're going into here this is going to be slightly cheesy very stylish, fun but pretty shallow uh, if you like your Hitman then you know go out and watch it but it isn't Leon and Kaz, is it the type of film that someone who doesn't play the video game can pick up and enjoy? I would think so. You, again, you have to probably you can tell from the title what it's going to be about. But um, but yeah, if you don't if you don't know the video game, I don't think you'll be particularly surprised by what's going on in the movie. I think arguably, if you know the video games well, you might actually be more disappointed by the end result. Okay, well, uh, thanks, Kaz, and uh, we'll move things on. And moving on, it's time for Chris. So, uh, Chris, what do you have for us this month? Okay, well, first of all, I'm going to talk about um, a new animated movie which has just got its way onto onto Blu-ray. And it's uh, the DC Universe's animated original movie of Justice League, The New Frontier. Now, this is based on Darwin Cook's um, award-winning graphic novel, which was set... It took the Justice League back to its origins. Superheroes' origins, they're done again and again and again, aren't they? Um, Ad nauseum. But, you know... This was a story which, which could be told. Darwin Cook's original book was based on uh, the Silver Age, which was, of course, the 50s in comic book terms, and uh, how the superheroes of that particular era were very incredible style being victimized by the uh, suspicious US government. Of course, it's the, um, the Red Terror and all this was creeping in. McCarthyism, you know, the witch hunts, persecutions of politics and um, you know, social outlook and everything. So... Why should the superheroes be any different? For God's sake, they wear masks. Who are they beneath those masks? So there's some kind of backlash against the superheroes and they're all sort of going their own separate ways. And uh, the Flash becomes very disillusioned with it all. Superman has a spat with Wonder Woman because she's doing some horrible, wicked things in um, Indochina, uh, getting the, the, the women of the villages where the communists have destroyed all the men, killed all the men folk, and she's banded them together and made them into a, a rather vicious fighting force and Superman doesn't agree with her methods. So everybody is kind of like not having a good time and entered into this Martian Manhunter suddenly arrives out of the, out of the blue, but rather out of the red and um, he assumes an identity on Earth, becomes a private detective and uh, he becomes very disillusioned with the, the crime and the stuff that's taking place around him. Basically, everybody's not having a very good time. Um, but, of course, you need a threat of colossal proportions to make anybody band together. So, the Silver Age comics, Darwin Cook came up with this uh, idea of a really horrendous beast with, from you know prehistory, which has sort of been feeding off the suspicions and the hatreds and the bigotry of mankind throughout its entire existence. Um, but it's beginning to realize that man has now reached a point where he's so suspicious of, of his brothers around the world that you know 
someone could put the finger on the button and blow the entire place to kingdom come. And of course, this monster uh, does not want that to happen, obviously. So it puts into action um, a whole new um, scheme where it's going to eradicate mankind from the planet. And so, of course, things happen and you have various people get possessed by it. Very strange happenings take place. And the superheroes must band together, finally, in the face of government apathy and you know hostility, perhaps, and take out the beast. That's basically the plot. So, but the Justice League will be formed to um, to, to combat this particular uh, threat. And I have to admit that a big fan of Justice League as I am, I love the comics. I love the animated show. Bruce Timm's animated show is perhaps one of the best shows I've ever seen on TV. I've said that before many times. It's a wonderful, wonderful show. Hyperkinetic, great, great storylines, powerful stuff, good characterizations. So I couldn't wait to see this. And the first time I watched it, this is important, I didn't like it at all. In fact, it bored me rigid. I could not believe that this... was. I had actually looked at Darwin Cook's book as well, way before the film would come out. And the book had the same effect on me as well. I just... It was the 50s style, the Cold War uh, was creeping in, and there wasn't enough action. There just wasn't enough action. A lot of characterization, a lot of disparate storylines all coming together, and it, I just couldn't buy into it. So the film comes out, and I thought, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give this a chance. I mean, I love animated movies, and uh, I really couldn't wait to see what they've done with this. Bruce Tim again, you know, it's always going to be good stuff. Um, you kind of expect you know, a certain, you know, quality from his output. And uh, but watching it the first time, no, I was it just didn't do it. There wasn't enough action, um, everyone was all over the place. It was just come on, cut to the chase. But you know what? At the end of it, I kind of thought, well, no, there was something there because it stayed in my mind. I watched it again. Well, I had to for review purposes because there's commentary tracks on it and all sorts. And uh, I found the film was growing on me. I've actually seen it a good number of times now. I couldn't find any more action in it, but you know. There is a nice atmosphere. It's uh, it's very heavily uh, influenced by the era. You've got lots of period detail there. The shows that are on TV, the clothing, the style of speech, um, the whole heroic angle as well isn't just you know the superhero thing. You've got stalwart, uh, well, the Green Lantern. It's basically his story. This, even though he's not in the animated show, the TV show, he's not the main character in the uh, of the ensemble. Green Lantern in the comic book and at the original Justice League was one of the founding members. He was one of the pivotal um, characters involved in the team. And this film basically tells his story. He's a Korean war veteran and um, a super, you know, jet pilot ace. And um, after the war, you, it's revealed that, you know, he's, um, he's psychologically damaged. He's had a few years in a veterans association hospital trying to come to terms with the things that he's done out there. And uh, he's in the wasteland, but he's given the chance to, uh, become a, a, an astronaut on a first trip to Mars. This is how the characters all seem to zoom into each other. Martian Manhunter is prowling around the streets of, well, I think he's in Gotham actually, and um, you know, taking out various criminals and becoming very um, disillusioned and upset that he can't really make a difference. As is Batman for that matter. Batman seems to be scaring the innocent folk just as much as the bad guys, and that's a bit of a wake up call for him. So no one's very happy. But Hal Jordan, who becomes a Green Lantern, gets this offer of a lifetime to become an astronaut. Right, and of course, Martian Manhunter thinks, well, there we go, I've got a trip back to my home planet here aboard this rocket, you know, which is bound for Mars. 
Nothing's going to go according to plan, is it? Of course. And a bigger opportunity, a bigger offer is waiting for Hal Jordan um, to become the Green Lantern. And this is where the film in the second half finally does kick off and you do get some rather rip-snorting action. Um, the animation is not my preferred style. It's big, it's broad, it's not very well textured. Um, it's I'm not I'm not into this particular style. There's a, a lack of detail to it. It's massively colourful. Um, it's meant to be, and it sure as hell is. Um, in fact, this, this the imagery is so colourful, so bold, so stark. I think you can see it from the moon. It is that profound. Um, but fast action is there, but it's it's not in the the style of uh, Justice League the animated show or even the new Batman show. It's just not quite like that. It's very sort of old school, which, of course, if you listen to the commentary track and the watch the documentaries, that's all part of what they were doing in the first place. They're harking back to the older days, the older style. Um, although, having said that, if you if you do watch the action scenes, there's a, a bit of a hint of the Matrix there. Your introduction to Batman is a, a scene set in a church where it was sm- quite nastily a small child is about to be sacrificed by this um, strange cult. And uh, the first time you see Batman, he's leaping into the air, kicking two goons from either side of him. And, of course, time and the image slows down as he does his stuff in pure Matrix, time-honoured fashion. And if you're harking back to the old days of um, proper fisticuffs, two-handed fighting sort of thing, um, that doesn't really work in cahoots. And it's worth mentioning at this point that this is a, a PG-13 movie, and it's um, there's a few little... Uh, swear words and then they're not major it's of the son of a bitch variety rather than anything harsher and violence wise although it's not particularly you know OTT stuff there is some limb breakage taking place great one courtesy of Batman um, so there's much to enjoy What another thing I didn't like about it is it shows Wonder Woman the way that she used to be drawn in the older days where she literally is she towers above Superman for instance and she's almost as muscle bound and, well, she just ain't pretty, you know? Um, and to a growing lad like myself, that's a bit of a disappointment. But uh, I do recommend it, especially if you're a fan of Justice League, because this shows um, an era and an origin which certainly is one of the more successful ones for um, a superhero ensemble. And it, it, as I say, first of all, it didn't work for me, but it's grown on me, and I've watched it you know, several times since, and I quite look forward to seeing it again. And... Uh, Luckily, as well, it comes on a particularly well-stocked disc as well. You've got quite a few documentaries on there. You've got two big documentaries, Superheroes United, The Complete Justice League History, which obviously does what it says on the tin. It charts everything, you know, the, the Justice League were ever involved in, from the comics, from the other TV shows, going back to um, what, Super Friends in the 70s, uh, how they all came together, their various evolutions, uh, on to today, um, obviously. You have a Legion of Doom, which, again, this shows the the opposite end of the spectrum. The bad guys, where they all came from, what they're all after. Uh, one thing of note about these documentaries, there's a guy in here, I think his name's Phil Kuntzinu or something, Kuntzinu. He's a psychologist, and uh, he's written a book on myths and superheroes and things. Boy, does this guy waffle on. You think I'd go on for England, but this guy, my God. And what it's just a master of stating the absolutely blatantly obvious about all you know why Lex Luthor wants power, why he's jealous of Superman. Well, it's you don't need to be told that it's fairly obvious. And this guy's written you know academic you know 
tomes and journals on this sort of stuff. It's it's bloody obvious, folks. To be honest, but commentary track wise, you've got a, you've got a couple of commentaries there. You've got the filmmakers themselves, and a great track it is too, full of detail, full of the usual obligatory backslapping for all the uh, so and so animated this, so and so did this. I, I love the way he did this. You know, we brought him in to do that, and he changed it around and did this instead, and it looks better, doesn't it? Usual same old thing for animated comedy tracks, uh, but you have Darwin Cook on a separate uh, comedy track. He's the guy who wrote the original book, and he's a bit more frank and a bit more open and honest about things. There are elements of the show of the the movie he doesn't like, bits that he wishes wishes were back in there, but had to be taken out for whatever reason. Um, and he's got quite a good opinion about certain things, and I enjoyed his track quite a lot. Obviously, it's not as good because it's. He's on his own, so he's not exactly bouncing stuff back and forth. So there are a few little pauses in there. But overall, it's a good, it's a good track. You also have um, an unusual feature. Well, it sounds unusual. It's, it's called a, a comic book commentary. And what this actually is, it's only the last 10 minutes, but it's Darwin Cook voicing over um, a 10-minute segment of imagery from his comic book compared to how it looks in the movie. And also images from the comic books that influenced him years ago. And the books he's reading now, it, I quite liked it. It was quite a novel approach. Um, and, you know, he didn't learn anything particularly new that he didn't say in his commentary track, but, you know, it was still nice nice to have it there. You also get three bonus Justice League episodes. Uh, these are ones that uh, Bruce Timm has apparently picked uh, as his favourites. Uh, they're okay. Actually, they look pretty shoddy in HD, to be honest. Uh, I was quite surprised by how naff they looked, full of jaggies and all sorts of things. But it's nice to have them there, I suppose. Which neatly brings me on to the actual quality of uh, New Frontier itself. Uh, well, it's ravishing. Uh, you have not seen colours like this. It is electrifyingly vivid. Uh, beautifully vivid. It could, you could, it could hypnotise yourself watching this. Um, particularly one colour, uh, green, for the Green Lantern. When he first encounters the people who are going to transform him into Green Lantern, and when he first gets the ring of power and all this, I swear to God, you've not seen greens like this. This is so vivid. It literally leaps from the screen and bathes the room. It's absolutely jaw-droppingly good stuff. Uh, but on the actual uh, image front, uh, if you go up close, it does use a bit of definition. Uh, there's, a, there's a few tiny little jaggies there. They're not particularly... Uh, they won't ruin your enjoyment of the movie at all. And you really sh- you, know, you shouldn't be looking that close anyway. But, you know, overall, I can't really, you know... Um, deride the, uh, the the visual quality it's, it's quite splendid audio wise you've got a 5.1 Dolby True HD track which rocks uh, you've got rolling bass in there which will just move the sofa from beneath you it's going to really really rock the house and remind your neighbours that you're there um, really good stuff quite well detailed as well um, so it's quite a bit of a sonic blast you've got lots and lots of um, well the, the, the finale which is all action there's just it's a great workout for the system there so I think overall you're going to be quite happy with that, provided you're a fan of Justice League or providing you're a fan of animated movies anyway. Just don't expect the action every second of the way that you got from the TV show. And I think you'll be quite happy. Great voice cast too. Really, It's like a battle of the deep voices. Uh, David Boreanaz, um, Angel, you've got him there. You've got... Um, oh, what else have you got? <laughs> Cal McLaughlin, who's absolutely who's put a, a definitely deep voice on for it. Jeremy Sisto from Law and Order. It's it's great, great stuff. Gravelly stuff. Uh, Miguel Ferrer, I think that's how you pronounce his name. Ferrer or Ferrera. Uh, another deep voice. It's great stuff. Your you subwoofer is actually working for voices these days. So yeah, 
overall, I quite enjoyed that. My scores for it were as follows. Movie got a 7. I gave the picture an 8. Good solid 8. Sound got an 8. Uh, because I think by virtue of the fact that it's an animated movie, the sound doesn't sound particularly natural or authentic. It's great to hear there's things happening all the way around you, but they're not especially convincing. But that's, you know, that goes hand in hand with the medium that you're watching. So you can make up your own mind on that. I gave it an 8 anyway. Extra's a good solid 8. There's a lot of stuff there um, overall. So it got, it got an 8. I recommend it. And, of course, the other big title I've looked at, um, a personal favourite of mine, it's uh, I Am Legend. Now, don't all run away because I've gone about this so much on the site for the last few months. Uh, this is quite a big release, and it's very, very important because it's got the alternate ending on it as well, which is what everyone's probably very intrigued about. And I can't tell you what it is. Ha-ha! <laughs> to suffice to say that it's actually a lot better than the one that you may have all seen before if you've seen the original theatrical cut. Uh, weird thing, uh, the the alternate version, when you put a disc in, you can it's not seamlessly branched. You've got two versions of the disc, two versions of the movie on this disc. You play the theatrical cut or you play the alternate cut. Um, so the theatrical cut is rated PG-13. The alternate cut is unrated. I don't know why that is because there's no, I can tell you this for a fact, there's no extra violence in it at all. There's no extra gore or anything like that. I do not know why that's unrated. But there you go. So don't get your hopes up on that score, please. Um, anyway, I Am Legend, the third adaption of Richard Matheson's seminal 1954 uh, vampire novel of the same title. Um, I'm not going to bore you with the details of the story because I have done this so, so often in the past. And um, if you don't know, where were you? Uh, so it's a great film, a thoroughly enjoyable film. The original theatrical cut that I saw several, several times uh, two thirds of it was excellent Will Smith on his own great character study well say on his own with his dog for the first part of the movie and uh, very atmospheric very moody the desolation of New York is superlative absolutely absolutely amazingly um, eerie very very well done um, horror wise well it was lacking but you had to make a few allowances for that it's not that kind of film and although I wanted to see nothing but Will Smith with an automatic weapon and his dog at his side running through hordes and hordes of the infected um, after the plague, which has wiped out civilization, and it's only him and them left, uh, I wanted to see loads and loads of that style of action. Well, there's only one way you would have seen that, and that was if Ridley Scott had done his version with Arnold Schwarzenegger a good decade ago, which was what was mooted at the time. Um, this version, action, it's secondary uh, to character study which, although you may have reservations about that, it, it works in this particular story's favour quite a bit. Uh, this is a few years down the line after the, after the um, plague has you know, devastated mankind. He's had to battle the, the mutants, these fellow mutant survivors, for three years. So he's knackered. He's, he's now believing that, why fight them when I can just do basic hit and runs and just survive? So he doesn't want confrontation, and he can understand why. Uh, another criticism of the film was that the, the CG was rather woeful. Indeed, it is. It's terrible. It's terrible for the um, the mass shots of the the infected or the dark seekers, um, as they're called, because they are weightless. They are they have no substance. They're pure cartoons. They may look impressive to see absolute armies of them bounding over the, the bonnets of cars and climbing buildings in their pursuit of uh, of Robert Neville, the Will Smith character, but they just don't look convincing at all. 
But when you see him in close-up, um, and there is one particular guy uh, who's known as the Alpha Male, played by a guy called Dash Myhock or Mihawk, uh, who is uh, who's superb. Because when you see him in close-up, it's obviously an actor just with a, a few well, prosthetics and perhaps a few CG embellishments. And I, I think he looks at he looks okay. He looks a lot better on the Blu-ray than he did at the cinema. Put it that way. Um, and this is where the two versions differ. Because what I can say about the alternate cut is that you do get more of the uh, the infected. You also understand more of their behaviour and why they're doing what they're doing, and you have more sympathy for them as well. Beyond that, I'm not going to say a great deal more. But because of this um, heightened um, interaction you have, you see them a lot more. So you see this particular one more, and that's why I'm saying you know, the close-ups, they don't look so bad after all. In fact, they're quite impressive. It's an unusual look for them. It's not particularly monstrous, um, but it's, it's a good and different sort of look, a kind of translucent sort of skin. Um, the veins with the, the infection running through them pulsing beneath their skin. It looks great, I have to say. I was quite impressed, more so than I was at the flicks, obviously. But then again, the alternate cut gives you more to, to study. So, yeah, uh, quality-wise, now, it's Blu-ray 1080p. It's a 2.40 to 1 ratio. Looks gloriously wide. Looks really lovely, lush um, picture. Now, I saw this a good number of times at the flicks. I reviewed the cinema prints, and I studied that cinema print quite extensively uh, looking for particular bits that I was going to be able to pick up on when I reviewed the Blu-ray and I've got to say that as good as the Blu-ray is, I'm still disappointed this is a lot. This is soft there's a lot of definition there don't get me wrong, but compared to what I saw, it's, it's quite soft there are images there which I picked out which you just don't see on this disc, the fantastic views of the empty uh, desolate Manhattan the opening shots of uh, Will Smith driving his Mustang down 6th Avenue. Uh, you're looking right down the street and the camera's travelling with him, so you're seeing the tops of roofs and buildings and skyscrapers. But the flicks, you could see a hell of a lot more on that than what you're seeing here. Um, again, distant shots seem to lose win- window definition, billboard signs, the foliage. I've got the standard version as well, folks, so I'm going to back it up with that. There are many, many shots in in this where the standard looks just as good the scene where Will Smith and his dog, his fantastic German Shepherd companion Sam or Samantha um, are walking through the overgrown, basically savannah that is Times Square every blade blade of grass can be seen shimmering there and moving, wafting in the breeze and on the SD you can see it all quite just as as well Um, but you know, there are bits where it obviously shows its its 1080p potential. Close-ups of Will Smith's face. Every single downpour is on show, um, which is you know, only what you'd expect anyway. But it still you know, lacks the overall bite that I would have expected from a huge profile blockbuster movie such as this, with high expectation running behind it as well. Um, so, you know, I sound like I'm being really derogatory. It's only because I'm basing it on what I saw and on um, the SD version uh, I, I saw it with a bunch of other people as well all of whom thought the film looked spectacular and the the, you know, the image was incredible but even if they did admit that it looked a little bit soft uh, for what they expected from Blu-ray sound wise though you've got a devastatingly good 2HD track now this really does rock the house it, but not just in pure bombast there is so much detail in there um, 
loads of uh, rear action as well. Uh, lots and lots of ambience. Some spectacular um, details w- within the machine gun fire. I love, for instance, the way that when you hear his, his and there's not a lot of gunfire, let's be honest. But when the, the, his, um, his gun goes off on the streets, you've got the sound, you've got the detail of it echoing around the concrete um, jungle that's around him. So you, you've got plenty of reverb there. It sounds spacious, it sounds loud and punchy, and it cuts through the air with real aggression. When he's shooting inside the house, uh, it sounds louder and yet contained. You've got the, the sound of um, wood splintering around. You've got the, he shoot, at one point he shoots um, a gas cylinder in his house. It sounds really exciting. I can't wait to go and watch it again now. And um, the real detail of the oomph of that explosion and the directional shower of debris—it's brilliant. I mean, I I love bombastic movies. Love them to bits. I love explosive action and. Uh, although the film isn't filled with, with that kind of thing, when it does do it, it does it exceptionally well. There's also some great uh, stingers, which is partly down to James Newton Howard's phenomenal score for it, uh, and, of course, the actual sound design as well. So things will leap out at you from different sides of the uh, the room, and the according speaker is, uh, is is used specifically and very, very well. So it's, it's, it's a great oral experience, I have to say. Um, also on the disc, you've, you've got, well, there's not a lot of stuff here. Or rather, it looks like a lot of stuff, but it actually isn't. You have Creating I Am Legend, which is a mini documentary gallery, they've called it, which is over 50 minutes of awesome behind-the-scenes material. That's what it says in the back of the box. Basically, what you have here is about 21 uh, five- to six-minute sort of um, featurettes with a play-all option. Now, that, to be honest, I enjoyed it, but... It doesn't give you a lot of information. It gives you stuff on the set. There's lots of talk with the. I mean, Will Smith is a heavy participant in this, and that's always good to see, and uh, that the big stars are actually involved in the, in the makings of and all this. And he, he gives a lot of spiel. All everybody involved with it gives a lot of spiel. Everybody, including the dog, and uh, you know it, it covers all all bases, but in little tiny bite-sized nuggets. This style of thing isn't even with the play all. What happens is it will fade in out of fade out of one featurette, take its time, and load up the next one. So this sort of thing is not as good as a, as a one good, solid, you know, making of documentary, which is what you'd really want. Because you know, all this stuff was filmed from the same interviews anyway. Why they just didn't put it all together, I, I don't know. But it's, it's a trend with a lot of, a lot of you know, discs coming out. Um, you also have what's called a cautionary tale, the science of Iron Legend. And this is, like, this is quite a lengthy documentary about viruses, and how they affect people, how they invade our bodies, and what they do to us once they're in there. Um, quite grim stuff, frightening, very sobering. But it's nice that the, uh, the filmmakers and the film crew are, are involved in this too, showing that they did a little bit of research into what these, you know, these contagions and infections can do to people. And uh, a very similar sort of thing was on the Blu-ray disc for Invasion, the incredibly naff Nicole Kidman, uh, Daniel Craig take on the Invasion of the Body Snatchers. Uh, this is much better, a lot more in-depth and uh, just more enjoyable, just more entertaining. Another nice feature you've got, f- it says here, again, love the word awesome almost as much as I do, four awesome animated comics. Uh, these are great. These are really, really strange, eerie, macabre, um, but but brilliant. Um, they're done in a kind of anime style. Uh, it's they're not, they're not animated movies. These are like uh, cartoon comic book panels, basically, with individual bits that may move within it someone's hand 
someone's eyes or whatever, or the figure will, will flit across the screen, but in kind of ghostly fashion. It's very, very arty, um, very surreal looking, and uh, they're quite great. They're only short. They're about, I don't know, five, six, maybe seven minutes long a piece, uh, and they're set. The theme is that they're all different parts of the world as the, as the inf- um, infection, the plague, takes hold of civilization. Um, the final one, which is called... Uh, what's it called? Shelter, which is set in New Delhi. That is great, great. It's grisly, it's nasty. It shows what the the effect it do to people when they get older. Them, so it, but the tone of them is very more, very much more like Twenty Eight Days Later or Twenty Eight Weeks Later, or a Romero movie. That it's not really, it's not what you're seeing in the film I Am Legend. It's what you may have liked to have seen in it. And I know I would have liked to have seen a bit more um, carnage, but you know, you can't have it all, can you? Uh, they're in high definition as well, which is quite nice as is the cautionary tale, which is in high definition too. So overall, uh, it gets a major, major thumbs up from me. I'm sure you expected me to say that anyway. Uh, now, alternate cut versus theatrical cut. Again, it's personal taste, isn't it? The alternate cut runs about four and a half minutes longer. Um, the ending, I mean, a lot of people hearing this now have probably seen the film, but I'm not going to ruin anything there. Um, all I'm going to say is that it makes more sense in the alternate cut. Uh, I would have liked in the uh, the makings of to have found out more about this particular cut. They don't discuss it at all. You don't know which came first. Well, actually, yeah, I do. If you, if you check around, you'll find out. But I'd like them to tell me why they did certain things, why they changed things. And if it's just down to test audiences liking one version more than another, that's quite pathetic, to be honest, because the world has shown that they did not like the theatrical cuts ending. It was appalling. Um this still has a few problems, but you know it's damn sight better. And bizarrely enough, uh, the original author Richard Matheson, who actually appears in the uh, the featurettes on the making of, which is nice to see, uh, I think he'd be a damn sight happier with this alternate ending than the one that he was in the original theatrical cut. So even though it does deviate hugely from what he did, but then again, you know, I think tonally it creeps back towards what he was saying. Um, I'd love to talk more about that, but sadly, I can't. So anyway, I Am Legend, major thumbs up. Great, great film. Even better in its alternate cut. Um, So movie-wise, it gets a good solid eight. Although personally, I'd probably give it a little bit more. But, you know, officially gets an eight. Picture gets an eight. This isn't hugely better than the SD. It's got moments of high-def razzle-dazzle, but not enough of them for my liking. And it doesn't match the source print, it does not match what I saw at the flicks enough, shall we say. Sound-wise, it gets a 9. It's a great true HD track, great, very detailed, very bombastic. Just loved it, loved it. Extras gets a 7, because there's good, solid stuff there. It's, it's, yeah, there's enough there for me, for the time being. Overall, it gets an 8. But if I am legend, come on, go and get it. Made by Enthusiasts. For enthusiasts. Wow, a free movie, thanks. This is the AV Podcast. And that wraps up our AV Forums and Movies Podcast for this month. Look out for a home cinema podcast coming soon where we discuss the future of Plasma TV and also check out our new video podcasts from Valencia with Panasonic's 2008 launch and episodes from this year's Bristol show. You can find the videos at avforums.tv or by clicking the video button at the top of the main avforums.com page. This is Phil Hinton saying thanks for listening and please tune in again soon. The AV Podcast was presented by Phil Hinton. Original music by Andrew Bassett and Richard Cosgrove. 
The AV podcast was mixed and produced by Phil Hinton, and the senior producer was Stuart Wright. All content, including sound clips and music, is copyright material and featured for promotional use only. The AV podcast is copyright M2M Limited.